take your seats, please. We're going to have the Bible reading now, um, and it's in Zephaniah chapter 2, beginning at verse 4 to chapter 3, verse 8. So if you want to look that up on your own Bibles, on your phones, that would be great. So beginning at Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 4. Gaza will be abandoned and Ashkelon left in ruins. At midday, Ashdod will be emptied and Ekron uprooted. Woe to you who live by the sea, you Kerithite people. The word of the Lord is against you, Canaan, land of the Philistines. He says, I will destroy you and none will be left. The land by the sea will become pastures, having wells for shepherds and sheepfolds for flocks. That land will belong to the remnant of the people of Judah. There they will find pasture. In the evening they will lie down in the houses of Ashkelon. The Lord their God will care for them. He will restore their fortunes. I have heard the insults of Moab and the taunts of the Ammonites, who insulted my people and made threats against their land. Therefore, as surely as I live, declares the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, Surely Moab will become like Sodom, the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a place of weeds and salt pits, a wasteland forever. The remnant of my people will plunder them. The survivors of my nation will inherit their land. This is what they will get in return for their pride, for insulting and mocking the people of the Lord Almighty. The Lord will be awesome to them when he destroys all the gods of the earth. Distant nations will bow down to him, all of them in their own lands. You Cushites, too, will be slain by my sword. He will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria, leaving Nineveh utterly desolate and dry as the desert. Flocks and herds will lie down there, creatures of every kind. The desert oil and the screech oil will roost in her columns. Their hooting will echo through the windows, Rubble will fill the doorways. The beams of cedar will be exposed. This is the city of revelry that lived in safety. She said to herself, I am the one and there is none besides me. What a ruin she has become, a lair for wild beasts. All who pass by her scoff and shake their fists. Woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. She obeys no one. She accepts no corruption, no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her rulers are evening wolves who leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets are unprincipled. They are treacherous people. Her priests profane the sanctuary and do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no wrong. Morning by morning, he dispenses his justice. And every new day, he does not fail. Yet the unrighteous knows no shame. I have destroyed nations. Their strongholds are demolished. I have left their streets deserted with no one passing through. Their cities are laid waste. They are deserted and empty. Of Jerusalem, I thought, surely you will fear me and accept correction. Then her place of refuge would not be destroyed, nor all my punishments come upon her. But they were still eager to act corruptly in all they did. 
Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day I will stand up to testify. I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them, all my fierce anger. The whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Again, there we go. Uh, Ruth, thank you for reading that. Um, I would normally say keep it open. Uh, hopefully you have got a Bible to look at or you'll ex- you're allowed an excuse to look at your phone tonight uh, and look at it on your phone as long as it is the Bible you are looking at. Uh, if you were here last week and you were uh, hoping that we would get tonight to the, the hope and the restoration, uh, let me tell you, you've got another week to wait. Um, that is coming next week. But there are hints of it today. Uh, but we need to first uh, see more of this coming judgment. So let's pray uh, as we come uh, and look at this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can read the words of the one who is worthy of all blessing and honor and glory. And Lord, as we read these words tonight and hear what you have to say to us, may you speak to us by your Spirit. Amen. Well, uh, warning signs are useful, aren't they? Uh, Here's one uh, that I found this week, which I think is quite fun. Uh, A big, scary laser. Um, You've got to ask the question, what happened to the other eye? Uh, But warning signs, you know, they're useful, aren't they? If I saw that, I'm kind of imagining that something's going to happen to me a bit like in a Bond film. Uh, But you have to heed warnings, don't you? Uh, We might be more used to seeing this one. Uh, around uh, at the moment. Oh, I've skipped on too far. There we go. Uh, we found this this one here at the moment. Uh, now, I'm not going to say a lot uh, about coronavirus. I'm not going to artificially try to squeeze it into Zephaniah 2. Um, it, but it is on our minds, isn't it? It would be wrong not to be. And, and we have a God who uh, doesn't promise to take us out of bad situations, but he does promise to be with us through them. And he asks us to trust him through them. Uh, as the faithful and, and sovereign gods. But whatever the warning, whether it's a, a, a fun one uh, or, um, well, actually, a big scary laser probably isn't that fun, is it? Uh, it's funny to us. Uh, whatever the warning, we want, to, uh, we want to heed it. It's there for our protection. If it's, for our, it's there for our good. If we, if we ignore it, then there's consequences uh, that will come. Uh, and the first two and a half chapters of Zephaniah are like a warning sign to us. There's something that needs to be heeded, something where we need to take action because we want to avoid the consequences that are coming. The consequences that are coming on the day of the Lord, which is what this prophecy is focused around. And we saw that uh, last week. We began to see that with the the judgment that's coming on the whole world, and that includes uh, God's people. And the action that's needed to be taken to avoid it is to repent. That's how... uh, We ended last week with chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, to repent, turn back, seek shelter in the God who can save you. And as we pick up um, at the start, uh, or sorry, chapter 2, verse 4, we're coming off the back of that bit of repent. Uh, And uh, God, through Zephaniah, is going to give more motivation 
uh, to repent. Now, why should we be repenting? Well, the first thing is, see what will happen to the nations. Now, it helps to know uh, the geography uh, of the area uh, at the time when Zephaniah was prophesying. So here's a map. Uh, you can see uh, Zephaniah lived in Judah, which is that green area highlighted uh, on the map. Uh, and it's the time, it, if you remember, when King Josiah uh, was bringing in his reforms, they discovered uh, in the temple the, the book of the law. Uh, and uh, Josiah, having read that, has torn his clothes, repented, and was trying to bring the rest uh, of the nation of Judah into repentance as well. It's a change in their ways to worship God properly. Uh, and Zephaniah turns up uh, as... Uh, prophetic backup, so to speak, to those reforms that are going on. This is God's prophets. Now, uh, so he's in that green area. Uh, to the north where Israel used to be, they had been taken off into exile. And so they're surrounded by the nations where, let's be honest, there's no United Nations peace pacts going on around. Uh, they are not uh, friendly. And so what God says uh, through Zephaniah, he's like, you know what these nations are doing around you. You know how they, they rebel against me. They have their own gods. They have their own practices. Uh, they're not doing uh, what the book of the law says. And so he says judgment is coming on those nations. So he starts uh, with Philistia in the west in verses 4 to 7. He then speaks of Moab and Ammon in the east in verses 8 to 11. He then talks about Cush, which is probably Egypt, uh, in the south, in verse 12. And then he talks about Assyria in the north, verses 13 to 15. It's all of chapter 2. You see, he moves around the nations surrounding Judah. And he's, it's like he's saying, you know how rebellious these people are. You know they don't live to honor me. Therefore, they are going to be destroyed. See what's going to happen to the nations. Now, I remember a time when uh, I was at school. I was probably about eight or nine uh, at the time where I got told off by the teacher three times in one afternoon. I know, naughty, isn't it? Um, so one teacher has just gone, <gasps> yeah, no, it, it wasn't a normal thing to happen. Um, but on the third time, I got sent uh, out of the classroom I can't remember exactly what was going on. I'm pretty sure there was a group of us messing around, and I was the only one stupid enough to get caught. Um, But I was sent out of the classroom, uh, and uh, then when I was brought back in, it was probably about five minutes, although it felt like hours. Uh, The teacher had kind of rewritten this poem uh, that she had in a book, uh, changing the names to James. Um, And it was a poem about a boy who was uh, basically naughty in class, started off by getting sent out of the classroom, uh, then got sent to the head teacher, and then got sent home. Yeah. Basically, she embarrassed me in front of the whole class. Uh, now, you can teach, you can tell me later if that's a good tactic to use or not. Uh, but anyway, I kind of get what she was trying to do. She was uh, trying to use the opportunity to say, uh, look what happened to this boy. She was saying to me, she was saying to the rest of the class, look what happened to this boy. He started off by getting sent out of the classroom. He, he then had to go to the head teacher. He then got sent home. And if you carry on doing the same, that's what's going to happen to you. Don't let that happen to you. And that's kind of what Zephaniah is doing. He's saying, uh, look what's going to happen to the nations around you, uh, and don't let that happen to you. 
For example, look what he says, what happened to uh, Philistia. If you've got a Bible there, it's verses 4 uh, and 5. Gaza will be abandoned, and Ashkelon left in ruins. At midday, uh, Ashad will be emptied, and Ekron uprooted. Woe to you who live by the sea, you Keravite people. The word of the Lord is against you. Cain, the land of the Philistines, he says, I will destroy you, and none will be left. They're abandoned, they're ruined. They're empty, they're uprooted, the people are destroyed, no one's left. Don't let that happen to you. Or what about what he says to uh, Moab and Ammon, verse 8. I've heard the insults of Moab and the taunts of the Ammonites uh, who insulted my people and made threats against their land. Therefore, surely as I live, declares the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, surely Moab will become like Sodom, the Amorites like Gomorrah. See, because of the, the way that these people are treated, uh, Israel, they're going to become like Sodom and Gomorrah. Those cities in, in Genesis 19 that were utterly destroyed and become this kind of representative of God's utter destruction and punishment uh, of evil on a city, destroying the city and everything that's in it. He's going to say, see what's happening to these nations. Don't let that happen to you. But also verse 9 at the end, there is a little thing that's a little bit different. He suddenly says, the remnant of my people. It's there in verse 7 as well, if you spot it. The remnant of my people, the remnant of Judah. And where's that come from? Who is that? Perhaps it is those uh, people who have gathered together and sought the Lord that he talks about in chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 3. Those who've heard Josiah and Zephaniah's call to uh, repentance and they've, they've acted in accordance with the, the book of the law. Perhaps it is, but at this stage we're not told. Actually, we're going to have to wait till next week, to the end of the prophecy, to hear more. But it's interesting, even amongst all this destructive judgment that's going on, there is more than a hint of something different. Uh, more, of a, more than a hint of that sheltering we saw in, uh, in the law that we saw last week, that, that could mean a different outcome in this day of judgment. Actually, it's a positive motivation to repent in amongst all this push to repent. But whoever this uh, remnant are. They're not in Cush, verse 12. They're mentioned and destroyed as quickly as the swing of a sword. They're not in Assyria, verse 13 and onwards, who will be also destroyed. The capital city and Nineveh left utterly desolate. For Judah, this was all in the future. Well, it's probably... Actually, as they heard some, there's a bit of gladness that these noisy neighbours are going to be destroyed. But the warning is, see what's happening, what will happen to the nations around you, and don't let the same happen to you. For us, we live in a time where these nations, as they were then, have all been destroyed we can see a partial fulfillment of, of what Zephaniah says here. So these words are a warning to us too. They're a warning to those outside the church who have rejected, rejected gods, who have persecuted the church. They're a warning to anyone here tonight 
who wouldn't yet call themselves a Christian. See, the judgment on these nations points forward to a final judgment. A judgment on the day of the Lord, the day when Jesus returns. And on that day, the Bible says, those people who aren't God's people, those who haven't believed and trusted in Jesus, who haven't repented, well, they, they have no hope. It's a sobering thing to think about. It's a hard thing to preach on. And yet, we're given these warnings because it's not too late. That's why they're here. It's a warning to seek God, a warning to repent before it's too late. We saw that last week. It's a warning to repent because we know what's coming. We've been told uh, nations will be destroyed. We're told what will happen when Jesus comes back. The day of the Lord is near. And so it's a warning to repent, to come back to Jesus. Maybe there's some here tonight who need to do that. If that's you, then can I encourage you to talk to someone after the service about what that means, about how we turn back to God. Perhaps at at this time, it's a wake-up call for all of us to offer the reason for the hope that we have as the world around us panics. These are strong warnings. Don't let it happen to you. And maybe as uh, Judah were listening, uh, as I said, they were starting to get smug. They wanted to get rid of these noisy neighbors. You kind of, well, maybe chapter one wasn't quite so bad. And you kind of get to chapter two, verse 15. They're talking about Nineveh, the city of revelry. Uh, they lived in self. They, they, they say to themselves, I am the one and there's no one besides me. They're kind of sitting there thinking, yeah, that is Nineveh. They think they're so high and mighty. They think they know what's best. They need to be brought down a peg or two. And then Zephaniah continues. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defied. And they're like, yes, yes, come on. That is, that is what Nineveh are about. They're, they're rebellious to defied. She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. Yes, this is Nineveh. Come on. She does not trust in the Lord. Well, we know that's true of Nineveh. She does not draw near to her God's. Her God's. She just not on it, just not drawn near to her God's. And with that little word her, they suddenly realize God's not talking about Nineveh. He's talking about us. He's talking about Jerusalem. And maybe actually as we were sitting here a moment ago and I was talking about judgment that's coming on the world out there, perhaps there was a little bit of us that thought, yes, that's right. I'm glad it's not here. We can't be too quick Because it's coming to Judah too. It's coming to God's people too. And it's coming to Judah, uh, as these verses say, because of the wrong attitudes and agendas of the people. Uh, Firstly, it's of the leaders. Verse 3, her officials within her are roaring lions. Her rulers are evening wolves who leave nothing for the morning. 
Her prophets are unprincipled. They are treacherous people. Her priests profane the sanctuary and do violence to the Lord's. You see, there's a picture, that, that picture of a roaring lion, uh, of wolves that have such an appetite, they leave nothing for the morning. They've eaten the lot. It's kind of that picture of, of proud strength, relentless greed, taking what you want. And that's what Zephaniah says the officials in Jerusalem are like. And the religious leaders are no better. They're tricky, manipulative, they're unspiritual. If you go and uh, read what's happening uh, in Judah, um, before Josiah sent to the throne, which he can do uh, in Kings, uh, then it fits with this. You know, the great King David, who had ascended to the throne, well, that man who's after God's own heart, he's gone. And since he's gone, Judah, Israel, have slowly drifted further and further away from their gods. Leaders who were more inclined to show off their own pride, show off their own wealth, show off their own strength, trying to satisfy their relentless greed, whether it was money, whether it was sex, whether it was power. Self-centered, manipulative, unspiritual. Now, of course, they tried to mask it. They were part of God's people. Surely they'd be safe. But they drifted. In contrast, Verse 5 tells us that the Lord within her is righteous. He hadn't changed. Here's how the leaders, whether it was the civic or, or the religious leaders, were supposed to act. Doing no wrong, dispensing just, justice. Yet, they're unrighteous. And you know same. And that was the leaders. It's no wonder the people followed, verse 6. I have destroyed nations, their strongholds are demolished. I have left their streets deserted, with no one passing through. The cities are laid waste, they are deserted and empty. Of Jerusalem, I thought, surely you would fear me and accept correction. Then her place of refuge would not be destroyed, nor all my punishments come upon her. But they were still eager to act corruptly in all they did. They had no excuse. They'd seen what God had done to the northern kingdom of Israel and sweeping them away. God's just proclaimed what he's going to do to the nations in chapter 2. They should have known better. But actually they were eager to act corruptly in all they did. It's kind of like that group of friends who I was uh, with when I was 8 or 9. Hearing what the teacher had to say. And turning up at school the next day and just carrying on, misbehaving, as if it doesn't matter. They hadn't learnt the lesson. They should have been people who followed God. They, they, they knew it. They were told it. It had been revealed to them, but they had drifted. Like their leaders, they had drifted. And become like the nations around them following uh, idolatry. And because of this, this section uh, here ends in verse 8 with the whole world uh, being gathered together and the whole world being consumed by the fire uh, of the Lord's jealous anger. It's a striking picture. 
And we've got to say, why has God given us this in the Bible? Actually, when you read things like that, God, the creator of the world, uh, the holy, perfect God, he probably had every right to just come and sweep the world away. But he didn't. He hasn't. Not yet. See, he's, he's patient, he's gracious, and he gives us these warning signs so that we repent. We saw it last week. Uh, repent before it's too late. This week, repent because you know what's coming. Judah, see what's going to happen to the nations around you. Judah, know it's coming to you too because of your your self-centeredness rather than God-centeredness, because of the attitude of your leaders, because uh, of the priests and the people. That same judgment that's coming on nations is coming on you unless you repent. And it's the same message for us today. Repent because you know what's coming. See, us, uh, the New Testament church, the church today, is not immune from these wrong attitudes and agendas that the, the people of Judah had drifted into. Now, I'm not saying, of course, that that's everyone. Uh, no way at all. There are lots of godly uh, people within churches, just as King Josiah was uh, a godly person doing right in the eyes of the Lord in the time of Judah. See, it's primarily actually not for us to look at, our, look at others. We need to first look at ourselves. Have I, although I started well, drifted to a me-centered religion rather than the God-centered faith? Have I masked myself, feeling safe within church, without considering if actions match my faith? Where have I missed warning signs and carried on in unrepentant sin. Leaders, where have we drifted towards leading to boast our own pride, our own greed, instead of pointing ourselves and others to the righteousness of God? There are some searching questions that this passage brings us to ask. And none of us should sit here complacent. None of us should just think judgment is going to happen out there. We need to search our hearts. It's good for us to search our hearts. Confess where we need to. Come back to God. To repent. Because verse 7 there of chapter 3 tell, it does tell us that when we do that, when we fear God and accept correction, then our place of refuge will not be destroyed. His punishment doesn't come on us. And here's where we start seeing the turn in this prophecy. Here's what it involves to be part of the remnant. That group of God's people who are protected. It involves a fear of God. It involves correction. It involves realisation of sin. It involves a recognition that we need to come before a holy God and seek shelter in him. Ultimately involves the saving work of Jesus. He's the one who's ultimately rescued a remnant. Rescued them from the exile of sin 
back as citizens and members of God's household. Jesus' death took that punishment the remnant deserved. Jesus' resurrection destroyed it. And to that remnant, to God's people, then he uh, repented and were faithful to the church in the world today. The blessings are immense. You see hints of them, as we've already said. Uh, Chapter 7, sorry, chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord their God will care for them. He will restore their fortunes. I mean, wouldn't that be a great verse uh, to take into our minds this week and we go into the uncertainty of, uh, of whatever lies ahead? The Lord cares for you, his remnant people. Or the end of verse 9. The remnant of my people will plunder them. The survivors of my nation will inherit the lands. It's only just the beginning uh, of what is going to come. The blessings that are come going to come to this remnant. The rest of Zephaniah's prophecy that we will see next week is going to throw that wide open into beautiful pictures, beautiful images of how God cares for, loves, and delights in his people, in his remnant. Come back next week and we'll see it fully. You see, repent before it's too late. Repent because we know what's coming. And when we repent... God brings us into this wonderful, caring, loving, delightful relationship with him. Come back next week, we'll see it all. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, when we read passages like this, we are confronted with our sin We are fully aware of how we've fallen short uh, of your standards. Lord, please forgive us. Lord, we thank you that you haven't left us there. Although we are more sinful than we ever would have imagined. Lord, we are more loved than we ever dared hoped. Because you have come in the Lord Jesus and rescued us given for all those who repent, those blessings of being in your remnant, being your people, knowing you care for us, you love us, you delight in us. So Lord, help us to see the seriousness of our sin. And as we see that, help us run again and again and again to the Lord Jesus. Amen.